0: the triangle dresses that i draw (laughs) where where every every uh female is (laughs) identified with a triangle colored in triangle as a dress i just feel that i could advance that a tiny bit yeah just put boobs on it (laughs) all right problem solved
1: Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. Hey guys, my name is Kirsten from fluentlanguage.co.uk and in today's episode I am so excited, I am bringing you an interview with somebody I, I am so proud to have spoken to for the podcast that I'm learning from every single time I talk to her and I have followed and admired for several years. She's a big name in the polyglot community and has studied around about, what is it, 15, 20 languages in the last decade. Her name is Ellen Jovin and you're going to absolutely love this interview. If you don't know about Ellen Jovin yet, maybe you're going to want to find out more after the interview. I think you will. And you can do so by clicking on Show/87, and that's where you will find the show notes and all of the links that I'm mentioning in today's episode. And before we kick off, there's two little announcements both quite fun i was going to say one is fun but two of them are really fun the first one is of course Big thanks, big shout out to our sponsor. The sponsor for today's episode is Smart Cards Plus, the new flashcard and spaced repetition app that helps you review new vocab on the go. The app tracks your progress over time as you study flashcards with it, and it saves you loads of study time by cutting out all of the words that you already know and zooming in on helping you remember the ones that you cannot remember yet. This month, Smart Cards Plus is giving you the chance to win a $25, $25 iTunes gift certificate when you download and try out the app. And here's what you need to do to get in with the chance of winning some money. Head over to smartcardsplus.com fluent. Download the app onto your iPhone or your iPad. Create your account in there and then start your first deck. Simple as, you can either import one from Anki or Quizlet or you can just make your own, that's what I usually do. Share what you are learning then, simply by posting a screenshot onto Instagram or Twitter with the hashtag SmartCardsPlus to make sure that either Joe, the app developer, or I definitely see it. So I'm so excited to see what you are learning with this app and then make sure you follow at AppDesignPlus so you can be notified if you win. This is the first time I'm running a competition with our sponsors I'm so excited about it. I think it's a really wonderful way for you guys to get involved, for me to see what you're learning, to hear what you're getting up to and, you know, to help you win some free cash. It's fantastic. So that's smartcardsplus.com fluent to get you started. And I'm going to be looking out for your screenshots on Twitter and on Instagram with the hashtag smartcardsplus. Before we hop into the interview, one final announcement. I want to let you know that there is something in this week's interview that I would have normally edited out. What happened? You will (laughs) hear. What happened is essentially that my wonderful cat Abigail decided that she would get in on the action and join our interview for a little bit. That's not normally something that listeners should deal with, but Ellen saved me she brought back our conversation to a really important and rather profound point about the humanity and the value of imperfections in things like language learning and in all of these pursuits that we follow in our lives and given such a wonderful turnaround in that part of our conversation I was not able to find a way to take it out so you're going to get the full authentic treatment of what happened which is for 30 seconds my cat was totally in the room I absolutely love sharing this with you it is a vulnerable and I would love to hear what you guys made of it Um, And I would, of course, love to hear what you guys made of the whole conversation. It is important to me to share such new and interesting and different thoughts about what language learning means to us as people. So especially for today's show, please do send me your feedback. Don't hold back, don't hesitate. I would love to hear it either in a review, perhaps on iTunes or on the podcasts app, or you can also tweet at me, and that is at The Fluent Show, or of course, email me Kirsten at fluentlanguage.co.uk. My guest for today is one and only, she just told me by her name, Ellen Jovin. Ellen is a grammar freak in all of her languages, I assume. A former freelance writer, a founder and principal of Syntaxis, which is a communication skills training firm, wowzer, based in New York City. Ellen has a BA in German from Harvard. She told me not to tell people, but it's Harvard. And an MA in comparative literature from UCLA. And she lives with her husband, Brandt Johnson, in a wildly polylingual apartment building. Interesting. On the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And can very often be found walking or running around the city listening to language lessons. Welcome to The Fluent Show, Ellen.
0: Thank you so much, Kirsten. I, I already have about three things to scold you about, but I'm not <laughs> going to
1: <laughs> Alright. You start scold scold away.
0: No, I just was gonna te- t you didn't say a single thing that was that was wrong. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> <laughs> what is a polylingual apartment? I need to notice. Well, it's the apartment building. My building is very large. Uh, It is in Manhattan, which is a very multilingual city. And within my building, we just have a very diverse set of residents. So um, I can literally walk into my hallway from my apartment and there might be a guy who speaks Polish standing there. And so I say something to him in Polish, and then I walk down the hallway and get in the elevator, and then one of my Italian neighbors might get on, and then we can say something in Italian. And then I go down to the lobby, and I can speak Spanish to the doorman, and then I can go out on the corner where there are languages, uh, newspapers in multiple languages. So it's very easy. It it has actually happened to me numerous times that I've spoken three languages before I've even left the building.
1: I thought that when I was thinking about, you know, what you stand for and the way that your way of coming into the idea of learning languages or self-teaching languages is so connected to the city of New New York, I really thought New York will almost be a character. It's like a person in this conversation. Can you, I've never been, can you describe New York to me?
0: You're right. And when I initially about it's being a character. And when I initially started studying languages on my own back in 2009, it was very, I think the, I've always loved language, but the project was also very connected to my love for this, for this place, um, which is a place that I chose as an adult. I actually grew up in Los Angeles and I was living there in, in 1990. And I decided to move to New York, um, because I just really loved this place. I hadn't been to it more than, I think around three times at that point is all I remember. But my exposure to it was so um, it was such a powerful feeling for me being here. I've always loved big cities and um, I have just uh, just the energy, just wa- the fact that everyone walks here, so you walk down the sidewalk and you can see this. depending on where you are, you can see a flood of people coming towards you. I find that for a lot of people, that's visually very shocking, and it's overwhelming. Some people just hate being here, but I love it. And and for me, even though I like being on my own a lot, I like quiet moments, I spend a lot of time without, you know, reading or doing stuff in, in my apartment and not being with in social situations. I love being surrounded by the energy of people who know so many different ways to live and ways to speak. And it's just really a thrilling thing. Mm. Well,
1: you mentioned you moved to New York in 1990, and you started teaching yourself languages in 2009. So what's, yeah. what's in between? I just sat there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: thinking, oh, if only I could
1: learn a foreign language. I wonder.
0: <laughs> well when I moved I, I moved when I moved here in nineteen ninety, I was just I was leaving graduate school. That's when I was in a comparative literature program at UCLA. So I was doing a lot with languages there. My German, French and Spanish were all at a at an advanced, very advanced level actually at that point. So I moved here speaking languages, but all of them had been um, acquired in school. Mm-hmm. I do have some some. Fa- I have family in different countries who speak these different languages natively, so I had also some familial exposure. But you know, visiting for two weeks is not the same thing as living in a place. So, so almost all my language skills were acquired in classes. And I when I when I came here, um, to New York, I was I was teaching writing classes. I worked as a freelance writer. And I I used my languages regularly. I would see people on the subway, like tourists, for example, speaking different languages, and I would go talk to them and help them in whatever language. And then um, gradually I started to forget things. Like my German really faded. My Spanish, not so much, but my German really faded. It was kind of shocking. And at one point um, I stopped approaching tourists because it was too humiliating. To offer to be helpful, and then they'd say something, and I'd be like, uh, uh, "Oh <laughs> I mean, no!" Like, Can not you really you so said, but hi. <laughs> oh, it's a shame. so I started to feel like I was false advertising. Um, so I kept I kept my Spanish at a pretty high level just because it's so common to use it. But um, at at the end of and I occasionally I would say, "Oh, I'm going to take Japanese. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take that." But I always thought of it in terms of classes. So over those 19 years, I had various, you know, it wasn't like I was indifferent to it. But I thought of it as something that I had to pursue in a formal setting, not as something that I could keep up on my own. And that's really the difference. In 2009, I suddenly realized, hey, look at all this stuff out there. I can really learn a lot without ever going to a class on my own time. And that for me is a revelation was a revelation, and it's something that I think many adults really they don't they don't realize is available to them, and even when I tell them it's available to them, it doesn't always make an impression mm-hmm. so I wish it would make i wish it would make more of an impression
1: Can you remember the you you say a revelation, and I imagine almost the light bulb moment, but can you describe what that's like
0: well i went i I decided to go to the library to pick out my materials for my my uh, first language, and I was I was overwhelmed by the shell. The sh- I'm fortunate enough to have a, a public library here that has a lot of materials. It's actually the the volume of materials has declined a little bit, or it's being kind of shabbily maintained, which is disappointing. Um, but there's still quite a bit there so I went and I was just overwhelmed by everything on the shelves because I really didn't know what these different things were and what the most important thing was to have and one of the one of the um, you know, it's so there are a couple of things that I remember about that that I think are incredibly relevant for newish learners One mm-hmm. is that the quality of the materials makes such a huge difference and that, Is worth researching a little bit. I mean, I didn't mind doing it on my own, but I I know that I took out things that were complete crap. All right, not complete crap, because there's a little vetting there, but pretty crappy. And I took out things that were really great. And it took me a few weeks to sort through what was really amazing and what was not so amazing. And also the other, the second main thing I think for learners. Um, if you're not taking a class or you're not getting a tutor, which are great things to do, I certainly don't knock that idea at all. Um, and in fact, maybe a point we can talk about, uh, if we get a chance before the end is how I think classes and tutoring for me would be useful for certain languages where I had trouble getting far enough Mm -hmm. on my, uh, I'm just making a note so I don't forget because my my brain is 52 and it forgets things sometimes okay so like language like entire I'm, languages I'm gonna have to put like a,
1: in in the show notes for this episode I think we should put a picture of your notes and a picture of my notes they're gonna be they're gonna be a mess of brilliance I think
0: well, my notes always go in different directions. So I start out writing straight and then I draw little inserts and then I start going diagonally. And I don't know why I do that, but I've done that my whole life.
1: Mm. I, uh, my... I've currently drawn a grid. Oh, really? For that no sounds... reason. Yeah. That but...
0: sounds very orderly though. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to bring order to the, to the show. Okay. Okay. So the balance between, if you're learning on your own, I under, I underestimated when I first got materials out, um, how important the balance is between oral and written material. I think I believed initially as someone who loves grammar that I could learn more through pure grammar and vocabulary work without Mm -hmm. the audio supplement than I could. And, And filling in that gap is the big challenge, I think, for the teach yourself kind of person. Okay, yeah. Go ahead.
1: This is this is interesting because I'm reflecting on many learners who first come to this now and you know like in 2018 a lot of people come to this perhaps through apps and things like that. And sometimes I find in many language learners that the other side also gets neglected. So the way you describe it as a balance, you've got to have the balance between the written material, the the kind of structure, I often call them a guiding resource and lots of input the input resources that you also have to have so yeah. there's a an article that I wrote about it I'm going to put it in the show notes and the quality of materials point something that I find I wonder if you I wonder what you think of of the idea really or the the idea or the importance I find of realizing that you have a choice as the learner and you're the self-guided learner so it's tempting and it almost feels like it almost feels frivolous to get lots of different materials look through them all and pick the one that you like the most but the differences in styles although they're all teaching the same language and they will teach you the same rules materials differ so much in styles an assimil is different from a teach yourself is different from a rosetta stone it's different from a a, a, a tutor or a video course. There is there is such a variation in these styles. I think people people don't often realize that test driving different materials, especially when you're a new self teacher,
0: really pays off. So much. I thought of about eighteen different things while you were saying that. <laughs> one of one of the things that I love doing is just going to. A bookstore, which I have the luxury of doing, not everyone is has a language, a large language section in a local bookstore, but I love going to a bookstore and just picking things off the shelves. It, like Columbia, for example, in their bookstore, they have a long row or set of rows of language materials. And something that I can think looks pretty good at first glance, as I start to look through it, I get I form a very different impression. Because I think it's easy to start off kind of energetically. You know, a lot of things, whether you're talking about a movie or a TV show or, you know, a book with a narrative, you can have a really good beginning. But sustaining the quality through to the end is a lot um, more difficult to find. So first of all, some of them are a little bit, um, well, you already used the word frivolous that some people will think it's frivolous to test drive. I think some of the materials are frivolous. So looking at them tells you that. I also think, you know, some things like Ostmil, for example, I like it and I feel comfortable with it. I, I can't say it's my top thing that I gravitate towards. And one thing that crosses my mind about it sometimes is that the way it's designed, I would I would think that younger learners who are relatively recently out of school might find it a little old fashioned for them. But the quality is very high. So, it, it, but if you're not going, if you're not responsive to the way the material is constructed, the way the pages are laid out, the chances go up dramatically that you won't use it. So, these are all these are all considerations. And I love I love the theme that you mentioned. The test driving is everything. And I think that people who are willing to who feel confident enough to rely on what they know of themselves and how they learn and what they like and what they're, you know, what will enhance their motivation level. I think they're more likely to be successful at, at teaching themselves.
1: Absolutely. I agree. I agree. I've been recently thinking a lot about language learning and what it does for us in terms of personal growth. And one of the things that it, it does do for you, if you stick with it, is you learn a whole new area in which to trust yourself. If yourself, you know if you can manage to teach yourself a language, first of all, you can pretty much manage anything in terms of persistence and and you know i mean it's an, it's quite an intellectual venture as well, but also you've got to learn how to trust yourself. It's so easy at the start to look for the method on how this is done instead yep. of instead of feeling a little bit about what you respond to and what you just you know what you react positively to.
0: Well this is why I think that in this area I have there are plenty of things I'm not good at but one thing I'm good at is hedonism. I know when I, I'm a hedonist, I know when I'm having fun. <laughs> and and that and I'm and I'm extremely driven by that I mean I don't mean this in a completely, you know, uh, like I'm I don't lead some kind of um spoiled lifestyle where I sit around eating Grapes and being fanned or something like that, but I know when I am experiencing pleasure, and some books just don't give me pleasure, and I feel that I am faster at knowing that than some of my friends who seem to like to suffer, which I don't. I don't like to suffer. So if I'm gonna, if I buy a book and it's not appealing to me, that book is getting put away, and I'm getting a different book. Oh, and you know what else is funny to me about this? People who will spend three hundred dollars on a class or even more on a TV set. Are reluctant to spend. Um, I mentioned three hundred because I think that's a common amount in that neighborhood. Three hundred to four hundred dollars for you know a relatively brief class in Manhattan. So that for a language class. Mm-hmm. So people who will not hesitate to spend that, they'll hesitate to buy you know four products instead of one. When we're talking literally about sometimes like you know okay maybe it's sixty to eighty dollars versus fifteen. That makes no sense to me. Because it's still so much less than they're willing to spend on a class or um, something unnecessary. It's it's like a bias against investing in more than one book.
1: Mm -hmm. I think it's it's well we are taught that even if we don't enjoy a book, we should read it through. Right? We should we should we should persist. We should finish things. I certainly I'm a I'm a finisher. I feel like. I feel happy when I've sort of squished the last bit of toothpaste out of the toothpaste thingy. But with books, I'm the same. I'm like, when I've finished reading the last page, I like that. I find that it's a a satisfying feeling. However, sometimes it's so, so every part of me, if, if I don't enjoy it, doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to give up. And I don't, with languages, that can, that can quickly go into an area where you, where you're just what? You're just not being very nice to yourself, right? Because then no, something comes in right. there about where you think, well, clearly I'm not working hard enough. I'm not XYZ enough. I find that the, the the internet um community area where we where we see a lot of other people doing their thing can sometimes give you a feeling of being a persistent underachiever. <laughs> so I very often make make like a point out of like i've been learning I've been learning the same language for two and a half years, and sometimes I meet people and I say, oh yeah i can i'm I'm approaching a conversational level in Welsh, <laughs> and for me, this is like slow coasting you know tortoise person, and they're like, "Wow, oh my god, and because when you say that, people feel as if it only took you five
0: minutes That's funny. I admire that. I admire that persistence and focus on something. And um, I also admire the Welsh part. <laughs> I, haven't studi- I haven't studied Welsh, but I'm I'm kind of, I'm fascinated by it. Oh, Have you dude. been using Welsh dot com? Yeah, yeah. It's so fun. It's so good. It's so good. Really? Yeah. yeah. I've heard nice things about it.
1: I've used that. I've used um, the BBC has a free course on its website. Um, this is good because we can talk about resources, which is very interesting. Welsh being a bit of a minority language and me not... Now I live quite near London, but f- before I lived in the northwest of England. So my nearest city would have been Manchester. There just isn't... And even that is an hour away on the train. So you wouldn't... You just wouldn't, you know, just like stroll down the street somewhere. It felt... And, and I'm not really an Amazon person, I don't really, you know, I like to touch my materials and kind of look at them. So right. in, in other words, I didn't have a lot of materials available to me, but I like having a small amount of materials because li- I'm that person who wants to get a lot out of them. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, like a modern Welsh grammar book that was good, a dictionary, say something in Welsh, um, a tutor who I sort of, I never really did the thing where I thought I have to do weekly lessons. Instead, I I book a tutoring lesson when I feel like I want to talk to somebody. You know, like I wait until the impulse comes from me. It's it's back to that trusting yourself thing rather than following a a structured type thing. And then so I just book one off tutoring sessions. I think that was all I did at the start. And this year I've attended my first classroom class. How was it? It was two days long. Um Wow. You mean all in a row? Two, two days in a row, yeah. It was, it was called a Course Pasch, an Easter course. And it was fabulous. It was really great. And I'm, I was very pleased with myself uh, because I signed up for the intermediate level, which is like three out of five. And, um, and I kept up. And all the issues that she talked about were, were really, really relevant. So the tutor seemed to just know what people, the things people really get wrong at those stages. Did you That's know, Ellen... Welch has 50 ways of saying yes and no.
0: Is that because you're often using the verbs to answer the question? Yes,
1: but somehow that doesn't help me do do it right. I, I think I have one <laughs> one way of doing it correctly. So it's like if, if they say, like, did you go to the school yesterday? You have to say, did. You're not allowed to say yeah, no or so yes.
0: But, but that's so great. I love that. That's oh, so yeah, well, great. you're going to enjoy this. <laughs>
1: So, so that was, that was kind of my, my first ever self-studied language as well, but with your vast experience. So let me, let me think, how do I st- so many questions about self-teaching a language and I don't want to necessarily ask, how do you go about it in, in that, I think I'm curious out of all the ones you've studied, can you, ooh, can you name all the ones you've self-studied?
0: Um. I could, but my brain, that might hurt my brain. Okay. I mean, do you want me to?
1: Yeah, I'd love to hurt your brain.
0: <laughs> Before I do that, may I just tell you that I think it I, I like the way that you pronounce the word tutor. It sounds so much less, it sounds so much prettier than when I say it. I kind of say tutor, whereas you had, you, you have your asp tutor. How do you say it? Say it again. say your Say, your, say it again. Cuter, that that sounds so much cuter. Oh, oh, yeah. Why nice. I don't Americanize my T's. I know. I mean, that's a that's a problem. That's one of the things that I don't love about American English. All right. So I let's see. I self studied obvious ones like Italian, Portuguese. Re self studied German, French, Spanish. Um, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, Persian, Arabic, uh, Irish. That was hard. That was really hard. Um, but really super interesting. Um, I'm forgetting entire language families now. I mean, I've studied, t- I've self studied a teeny, teeny, tiny bit of Swahili, but I don't even know if I should get credit for that. Um Norwegian a little bit Swedish a little bit more. I'm forgetting uh Hindi, Urdu, which, you know, overlaps substantially. Uh, what am I forgetting? I don't know. I'm forgetting things. Mm. I'm I'm scared. so you're making me scared that I'm gonna offend a language. So I'm going to have to go to my website now. Mm-hmm. I actually, there, well, I have actu- I've actually studied a few that um, I, I haven't put up on my website because I started roaming around just doing random pimsler. Oh, Dutch, random P- and Greek, Hebrew, um, I, uh, Pashto. That was super interesting doing Pashto um, and, and Yiddish. Oh, I forgot Russian and Polish. Sorry, Slavic languages. I did a little bit of Ukrainian, too. I mean, I love Slavic languages. I feel a kinship with Slavic languages because there's so much grammar and I love grammar so much that I just find them, like I'm sitting there with my eyes open in disbelief that they could possibly have this many forms.
1: Mm, mm, have Have you ever done Latin?
0: I haven't. I signed, well, I took, I did register for a Latin class sometime between arriving in New York and starting to study languages on my own. This was one of my, my projects. And I I lasted three Saturday mornings because, you know, I was like 30 and I was still, no, I was probably still in my twenties. And I, I just didn't like getting up that early and going to class, (laughs) but, but I have Latin books on my shelf and I, I feel as though it might really transform my light, my, life outlook if I took it because it's felt like a hole for so long. Like one of the reasons I wanted to study French initially was because you know how you're reading along in some um, English novel and all of a sudden there's a quote in French. And it really bothered me that this happens so often and I couldn't um, understand the quote. And the same thing happens with Latin. I really, well, although I can usually puzzle it out, it really bothers me that I can't, automatically read the quote with some authority so i might read i might study latin mostly so that when i read english or other novels that have latin citations in them you know to add philosophical weight that i can say aha i'm a part of that too
1: uh uh-huh. it it is interesting that you i think in pashto and in irish especially irish you mentioned that you found it hard but then went we went quite quickly from saying it's hard to it's interesting which is such a positive way of reframing that that a lot of people get stuck in this is too hard i'm not going to oh. start
0: yeah and i almost feel bad that i said that because who cares if it's hard that a, just isn't really of people, right i guess but that isn't really particularly i mean i think it's i think it's enjoyable for many People to do things that they feel they're good at. you know there's a, there's a reward like for example, I might like yoga more if I were <laughs> if I were flexible. I'm just very average in that way um, but that, but that doesn't mean I can't go and enjoy it and I, I think that's true with a lot of activities. however, and maybe this is a, a depends on the individual. I think a lot of us gravitate towards things that we are pretty you know that we feel, good at sometimes. I don't know. I read a book by a woman who claims to be terrible at languages and that didn't stop her from writing about the experience or persisting. So I don't know. I mean, you can take pleasure in things that you're bad, that you feel like you're bad at or that you're not, you know, the best at or something like that. But in general, I suppose there are, there, there's a feeling of reward. Like I enjoyed studying Italian because I felt at the end that I could really speak Italian. I enjoyed studying Irish, but at the end, I didn't feel I could speak Irish at all. I mean, I just learned a little bit. But now I know about all the crazy lanition stuff. And, you know, I have my book that I can look at on my shelf that is entitled Irish Nouns. And that's Mm -hmm. the title of the book. I mean, how would I, I wouldn't have known that there's a book called Irish Nouns and that you could have tables and tables of different forms that the nouns take depending on where they are in the sentence and that kind of thing. Oh, you're to love I th- Welsh. <laughs> but I think that's really cool. And that, that aspect of it, the, the residue aspect, you know, one of the things that I'm very, that I think a lot about now these days is forgetting because I spent, I've spent almost a decade studying a lot of different languages and I forget so much. And some people say, well, how do you, I actually get questions often. How do you remember them? And my answer is, well, I, I don't really, unless I'm continuing to work, but there is a residue, you know, so if I restudy them, it comes back more quickly, but, um, but I don't, I guess I don't really care about that. I, I do, I've, did what I did because I enjoyed the process. I think it opens up a world into another culture. It enables you to make new friends who are native speakers of other languages. That's mostly through social media, but also through the medium of New York city where I can find people. And um, how is that not worthwhile? I mean, yeah, I would love if I remembered everything I ever studied, but I'm, I, I don't, I'm, I'm masterful at forgetting.
1: (laughs) And in all those different languages, did you always go about them the same way? I guess you came to them the, the, the same way, I guess, that I did, which um, the, the, the one head start that that people like us who have done institutional language study for so long have is that we already feel like we can do it and that we we sort of know what we enjoy, at least on a very basic level. And I guess we don't hate grammar because we will put through too much of it usually.
0: So, <laughs> well, I'd say with with German and English exposure, you probably had a lot of grammar.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Being German, you you just, yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know that many Germans who say to me, "I hate ger- I hate grammar." No, we can't Do you hear that? that? Never. Never, That's but I learned
1: I did grammar stuff in primary school. We we were, you know, I remember being I don't know, 8 9 years old and way before we did the triple, you know how Germany has this reasonably segregated school system. Yes. Way before we split, we were underlining nouns and subjects and ob- I don't know about subjects and objects, but definitely nouns and verbs and adjectives, which is more than some English people ever got taught in school.
0: Yeah, and I uh, I mean I have met people I'm just trying to think, this isn't a scientific survey or anything. I have heard people from other countries with, you know, some significant grammar say they got too much grammar in school, but I don't think I've ever heard a German person say that. My, two of my sisters were educated in, in Germany, and I certainly never heard that from them. But we may have a genetic proclivity towards <laughs> towards, <laughs> towards liking it. I don't know. <laughs> so your
1: your self-study method, Oh, oh, is it the same? across mm. Is it the same, or did it? How did it evolve over your decades? D-
0: d- d- the plural? Yes. No, it's not. Yeah. The, over your decades, well, I've self-studied under a decade, but I would. Well, I think I started to become fascinated with um, the world of language learning products. So it did change in the sense that I tended to be more comprehensive in what I collected in terms of materials, self-study materials. At the outset of studying a language, and there were pros and cons to that. So, in the in the beginning, I started with with Russian, and I had one Russian grammar book that I went through absolutely in its entirety with great vigilance, and I had a few other pieces of Russian materials, and I went I went through all of those, which is not the case with. By the time I got to something like Persian, years later, um, at that point, I was like, Oh my God, I have to go find everything that is available for Persian because I want to find the very best materials. So then what would happen is I'd end up with, you know, I, I probably have about 20 books and materials for Persian on my shelves. And I've done bits of a lot of them. Some I know I I opened them, I was like, no, not doing that. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't look like what I thought it would look like. You know, something that I couldn't get an advanced look at. Um and so I think that I started to get in terms of product productive lang- language learning, I think I started to get a little bit tripped up by my obsession with checking out everything that was available to see what was the best. So it's kind of, so, um, yeah, it's kind of, uh, maybe it's a book, my book fetish got in my way a little bit. Mm. Because I think really going, what you said earlier about going really going through something that has a lot of value studying the same basic level in five different books to see who does it best was interesting to me for different reasons. And I don't regret it, but it didn't necessarily get me as far in the language.
1: Well, you know what I'm going to ask you next, right?
0: No, I don't. Well, who does it but the best? I'm... Oh, who does it the best? <laughs> oh, cool. see, like, no, no, I can't imagine I answer... anyone
1: listening to this podcast who doesn't want to know.
0: No, but I, I think you can't, I can't answer that question because this goes back to the mm-hmm. part about knowing yourself and knowing I agree. What, it's a difficult you, one. So you already know the answer anyway. I know you know <laughs> the answer anyway. But what gives you the most pleasure and how you learn the best? Well, I mean, I, I am addicted to certain things I can say. I, I find um, the things that, that if I, off the top of my head, had to pick the things that I think advanced me the fastest in languages – it would probably, first of all, it would be Pimsleur. I think you know that I'm a Pimsleur addict. I just love it. But I meet people who don't like it, you know? Those are the audio lessons, 30-minute lessons, and those are the things that I, I love them in part because I can run errands and exercise and whatever while I do those. So it's not, you know, I get to multitask and get double pleasure for, for my money and time, basically. And the other thing, if I really had to just stand back from, all the books that I've tested, I actually really think the practice makes perfect. Books from McGraw Hill for some of the major European languages—they're not entirely consistent, but I think they are good in the sense that um, they balance tons of practice. The 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 ratio of explanation to um, exercise is really, really good. So they give you a little explanation, a lot of practice, a little explanation, a lot of practice. I just think the pacing is good. And I would blow through those, those books I had no trouble finishing. I would just blow through those like a crazy person. Hmm.
1: Interesting choices, both of which I wouldn't reach for because I've never seen them where I live. How where-
0: funny. Isn't that funny? If I went and lived there for a while, maybe I had to have different addiction. yeah
1: you'd be all over like oxford or something
0: i don't know maybe I not doubt. the city I...
1: but the publisher
0: <laughs> well i might <laughs> actually we should have lip. like an
1: exchange where we send each other materials
0: we should i wonder how different years would look <laughs> i know the the practice makes perfect are as far as i know heavily heavily american i don't know if they stock them on do they stock them on shelves in in europe i'm not even sure depends on what kind of shop you go to i've never seen
1: them but what, what i think we have a lot of what i like here is teach yourself but britain isn't really a country where you get a lot of language you know you don't get big language sections in most bookshops there's a bookshop called foils in london yes i've been
0: there i've been yeah, there
1: that's the most impressive i've seen that's the biggest i've ever seen in britain yeah, but you know, if you have to go to London for it, it's it's uh, inaccessible for a lot of people. So I imagine what many people do is go on Amazon and type in
0: "learn German," etc., and, right. and, and then just right. get what comes up. You know, I may I just tell you something now. I think that the German materials that I found have often been a little bit boring, like for "Practice Makes Perfect" books. Um, And actually, even with other publishing companies, um, and I noticed this in particular because, you know, I was a German major in college, so I spent plenty of time studying it. I find a lot of the books are not as creative as um, for some other languages like Spanish or Italian or French, which I just think are written in a more fun and less, um, I hate to say this, but robotic way. So I feel like the German books are a little bit more conservative in spirit and don't um you know, in a teacher self environment, I think you really have to tap into the kind of uh interest and capacity for play for for humor and that kind of thing so mm-hmm. um I'm interested in that problem for for German
1: mm. I wonder to what extent the fact that we have we we usually have German people writing the books plays into that but then I you think... how, how has it been with you know other countries where I would think of the teaching structure as a relatively conservative would be something like Russia but then there's I have Russia's what is it called let me look um, Russian Russian step-by-step step, I think ah but they are expats in America who write that and that's a little bit more playful, but still very exercise-based.
0: I think that the main person I'm thinking of who writes a lot of the German books is not German, but I'm actually not sure because I don't see a bio for him. I just looked. But, you know, it's like, the, the I just find it interesting. The Practice makes perfect books. Um, the cover looks the same kind of across the languages and stuff like that. They change the colors, but um, and, and there are usually a ton of them within a given major language. So you can get I have a gazillion for Italian, for example, and Italian I love, but the German I'm like, oh my god, I have to fill in another blank in a table of verbs. Really, could we not make this a little bit more interesting? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And that's me, the grammar, the grammar freak. That's the grammar freak saying that. I know
1: what you mean. I know what you mean and it's okay. Well, I'm making a German course at the moment, so I'm just going to make a
0: little note for myself. <laughs> Be more creative, and Kirsten. That, fabulous. <laughs> well, you well, I'm not concerned about you because you have a sense of humor.
1: I, and 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 that's something that you find well, and it's interesting as well. And to come back to knowing yourself, knowing that you like materials that bring a sense of humor into this is is really, really important. Do you ever think, do you ever follow a specific routine in in a week? Like, do you sit down at the start of the week and say, okay, here's what I want to get through or maybe in a month and you say, this is my goal. And then you work backwards and think, how do I achieve this goal? Or do you- No,
0: that sounds way too systematic for me. I really am very in the moment. Mm -hmm. Like, what's giving me pleasure? So, so for instance, um, in studying a particular language, it might be Monday, and I have X number of things to do. And during my free time, I pick up the thing that I most feel like doing in the moment for that language. And then if after 15 to 30 minutes, I'm thinking, you know, this isn't kind of tickling my language bone right now. um, I'm going to try some vocabulary work instead, then I might do that for a little bit. And then I might, you know, have a music break and then I might do audio. So I really, I really am pursuing not a schedule, just really what the, the pleasure of the moment is for me.
1: Mm. Something that comes up for me is because you have a communications trainings company, training company which means you're self-employed and to a certain extent are you flexible like are you flexible enough in your day that you could follow your is time for Persian impulses if you if you wish to do so
0: yes I have a very unstructured life the mm-hmm. the main structure is when on days where I go to a company and I teach a writing class it will be of a particular length you know I might teach a writing class or a grammar class or an email etiquette class or an editing class or I might even give a talk on how to learn a foreign language on your own sometimes I do that too but it's a defined period of time I go to the client's location sometimes it's in it's mostly in New York but it might be somewhere else like I was just in Ohio last week and I'm going to California next week and one time a lovely lovely client sent me to Bermuda to teach. So if anyone listening here has a training need in Bermuda, I really enjoyed it and I would love to go back. But anyway, so um, as long as I'm not teaching on a particular day, I could mostly do my work at night if I wanted or during the day or on the weekend. I mean, I do have kind of a seven-day work week, which I'm not sure is totally good for me, but I have a lot of choice in how, you know, If at 10 o'clock I'm thinking, okay, I want to do my evening walk at 10 o'clock in the morning with um, Swahili and try to remember what I forgot since last summer, I could do that.
1: Hang on a sec. I have a rampant cat.
0: Okay. (laughs) Hello,
1: Abby. Are you going to shut up now? She does not usually end up. Literally was making massive amounts of noise at the door. Imagine this. Comes in, looks around, turns around, nearly walks off. <laughs> Can you hear mm-hmm.
0: her? No, but you know what this reminded me of? It reminded me of that guy who was giving, wasn't he giving, he's American, but I think he lived, in, was he living in England? And He gave an interview to the BBC and his kids walked in. <gasps> Oh, he was so good. <laughs> I mean, I must have watched that video about a hundred times, and I died laughing. I still like to watch it. You know, if, if suddenly I remember it, I'll go watch it again. I think that for me, that captures that—that's like a universal theme that connects to language lear- learning. I'm going to pull it back to this: that there's such so- the spontaneity of the moment, and the the combination of the unexpected, the funniness, the tenderness, the I don't know. I mean, the the language stuff for me, sometimes I just, I'm reading something and I just laugh out loud because I'm like, that is the most ridiculous example or I'll meet someone in the elevator and we'll have the most bizarre conversation about whatever language it is they happen to speak that Mm -hmm. I've studied or I've studied and forgotten. I just, I don't know. I just let those little, those little kinds of things, um, those little human um, surprises are what I love about language learning
1: and it's a funny one to or it's it's something I'm observing is that you have no method you have no you know like some people are a little bit more Methodical and share in that way, share from that from that point. I, I remembered I interviewed recently Gabriel Weiner, who is very much methody, and I've spoken to Benny Lewis before, who you know who goes by his method, right? He says this is this is how I do it. This is always how I go how I approach it. Whereas in the same way as you, I'm I'm sort of beginning to almost come up with my own taxonomy of people who are who who engineer this whole thing and people who 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 are like you say hedonists who who do it and would do it anyway because it's fun and it's not necessarily driven by here is I I'm dreaming of getting to level B2 or something like that
0: well I'm, yes i i'm always happy to get to level B2 if i can i won't you know i won't turn it away but um mm-hmm. <laughs> yes And I, I mean, I do like to try to be helpful to people who are learning, but I have so many caveats attached to my recommendations. Like, well, if you're this kind of person, you might like this. I love this, but you might not like this. So it's, it's difficult for me to, I'm not, I'm not trying to cut through to like, yay, here's the way to do it. By the way, funny detail, Gabe Weiner, he went to the same high school I did. Oh, really? which I find really funny. So I, I mean, I, I, I electronically know him now. I didn't know him then. He's, he's quite a bit younger than I am, but he, um, I found that really funny because, you know, there are more than 300 million people in this country and I kept seeing his name and I look, and then I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, he went to Harvard Westlake.
1: So this is like a high school for 16 year olds, that kind of thing?
0: (laughs) I don't know the American school system well enough, clearly. (laughs) Well, it's a, so when I went there, it was just Westlake and there was was a Westlake school for girls and a Harvard school for boys. Both of them went from seventh through 12th grade and they merged a few years after I left. But it's, you know, fundamentally the same school. Like I get my alumni news from Harvard Westlake. And, uh, clearly we found a secret to being a polyglot. (laughs) Go to go to Harvard Westlake, but I the chances of that to me seem really weird. They seem really minimal, and I've really I've really enjoyed my interactions with him. I but I just find that also so funny. It it, it is weird. It's we weird. had good language. I'm telling you, we had good language classes there. And some people would take two, which I think for an American school is really unusual. So they, some people would take Latin and French. I don't know what the – or Latin and Spanish. I don't know what the offerings are now. I think they probably expanded significantly because we only had those three languages to choose among. But um, So he probably had more choices than I did too. But anyway, yeah, West, Harvard-Westlake in, in Los Angeles. Go, Harvard-Westlake. You go, Harvard. <laughs> Westlake. Yeah, you have to add that part. Don't leave <laughs> off the West because that's the women's part. You oh, you always
1: do have to ask. You have to add that one. Yes. Alan, I have questions about. Well, I have I have several. So the the first question I have that I really wanted to ask you is how you view your participation role in the polyglot community because I think that's how a lot of people come to language learning and then find like-minded people in a way that we never were able to before
0: um my role well you know my I first became connected to the the um this community of people who know each other online and know each other through conferences and Um, nerd out together on a regular basis through Facebook. I came to know that the group even existed initially sometime after I started studying on my own. I didn't know about them before. So I started studying on my own, and then I joined Facebook sometime after that. And then sometime after that, I somehow ended up in the polyglots group um, that um, had been started in, I don't know if it was like two thousand. Actually, I'm not sure when it was started anymore. Maybe that was years after I joined Facebook because I'm thinking it was like 2013. But anyway, I joined this group and there were about 1,000 something people in it. That was it. And that's one of the, you know, one of many polyglots groups now. That particular one has 30,000 people in it now. So it was very small at the time, relatively speaking. And I just started commenting on posts in there. And that's really, I was just kind of curious because I was off doing my own thing without a group, without classes, very isolated um, in a way, aside from the fact that there are 8 million people in New York City. Um, And I was like, oh, my God, look at all these language nerds. This is insane. And then I started hearing about the events. But I, you know, my initial entry was really just through attachment. And engagement with details about different languages. That's it. So for me, it feels very organic that, oh, look, there's a post about some, you know, something about French subjunctive, and I want to comment on that or ask a question about that. And then I met other people who were similarly curious. And, you know, it's pretty easy online to pick out people who are... Some who, who are of like minds. I mean, I, I've definitely encountered plenty of, hey, look at me, I'm 17 and I speak 30 languages um, and I use them to pick up girls on the street. All right, I'm exaggerating, <laughs> but you know, that kind of like hyperbolic um, show-offy thing mm-hmm. and, versus just genuine love for it. And those are the people I seek out that I feel most comfortable in comfortable with excuse me preposition disaster there um and uh you know it's how i became friendly with you because you are someone i would say has genuine genuine curiosity in and love for about in love for language and that to me is very moving
1: mm, i can i can most certainly say i've never picked up a girl in any kind of foreign language <laughs>
0: Or, or, but, or, or, but or
1: a male or a or a binary for that matter. But
0: but goals. Mm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag life goals. <laughs> but well, I, actually, my husband and I speak a foreign language to each other, so let's revise that one.
0: Oh, see, there we that go. Just that just undermined your whole theory.
1: I know. My pickup artist blog is at www Failure dot. There's something. There's there's something about that that where we if you come together with with like-minded people, even in when if language learning is what brings us together, we still have such a diverse community through Facebook that we within that community you still kind of gotta sift and what. What gives you well, I think the sifting is simple enough, so we don't really need to talk about how to you know figure out if you get on with somebody or not, but do you find do you find facebook how do I say this has generally a positive impact, not just Facebook, but I guess the general social media comedy has a positive impact when somebody as I'm thinking of the seventeen year old who isn't out there um speak in 15 languages to 25 girls let's oh gosh <laughs> let's get rid of this example but you know that we I'm, I'm thinking of, I'm of very somebody sorry. <laughs> i'm thinking <laughs> of somebody who who comes at this maybe in a in a very shy way and is sort of wondering can i even do this etc it is is the community welcoming in that sense i know that when we did women in language we had many people say this is this is really wonderful that we have this subgroup in this bigger group.
0: Well, I love those people. I mean, I feel I feel deeply touched mm. by my encounters with um, people who don't enjoy uh, urban linguistic riches like I do just by virtue of where I live or who aren't surrounded by people who are language enthusiasts and who in fact may be surrounded by people who, um, disparage their interest. Um, and who may be very shy about talking to people in, in person, but who can write these beautiful, thoughtful, introspective, illuminating things about their own language, other languages, um, humanity. I mean, I, I have a lot of, younger Facebook friends who have really taught me so much about their world and how they see it and who can answer like the most obscure language questions about any language. And sometimes I read their comments and I'm thinking, oh my God, I have to go study, you know, oh, I'm sorry, my phone is ringing. Um, and, and then I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have to go study, uh, up before I can understand their comment. And they're just so smart and thoughtful. And uh, I don't know, it makes me emotional to think about, it, honestly, I that for me has been life transforming. I think, I think it's a very beautiful thing in that sense. And I, you know, for all the discussion right now that's going on in the UK and the United States about the pernicious impact of social media on politics and on society. Um, I, I do believe that a a smart and careful user of social media can really grow from it. I do personally as an easily addictive kind of personality, um, have trouble with it because I get so enthralled with, you know, whatever dialogue is going on, like whatever furious conversation is going on about some word that, um, I suddenly, you know, find a thread about that. I find fascinating. I, I find that it's hard to leave and go outside as much as I need to to be happy, so I have to balance that.
1: Mm. Do you? It sounds like
0: you really love people. I do, except when I don't. What does that mean? Well, I, I I have my moments of grumpiness. I mean, I I confess that in our current our current political climate here, I've been pretty disillusioned a lot in the last couple of years. And it, it, th- that makes me sad. On the other hand, I do really love a lot of different types of people. And I believe that I learned from them. And not that not that my entire life is like one big uh, educational mission. I don't mean to make it sound like that because that sounds quite a- kind of stressful and, you know, like monomaniacal. But... Um, but, but there's so much that we can learn from all different kinds of people. And I have conversations with random strangers all the time. And if it's in English, that's fine. And if it's in another language, that's fine. I think that the access that language study has given me to more people around the world, especially through the vehicle of social media is something that I, that I will never take for granted. It's a, it's a gift. Um, and I'm honored to be a part of it.
1: Mm. So do you feel like do you feel like that's enough or do you ever feel like you want to
0: travel? Because
1: this is oh, interesting I that travel doesn't come up much in when you speak
0: about languages. That's true. That's partly been work constraints and things like that in recent years. But um, I expect that I'm going to be traveling more in this next decade. Mm. I have uh, plans. I have plans. So, um, I in fact, I'm thinking of going and getting my all my shots, <laughs> so I can go to any place. You know, like preparatory shots.
1: Oh, uh, no, not like vodka <laughs> like shots. Tropical,
0: tropical disease kinds of things. <laughs> I sound like I sound like a dog being taken to a vet. <laughs> no, you know, so that I can go to places where you have to get fancy vaccinations in advance, kind of more spur of the moment. So I have, I have plotting in my head and I love studying languages in advance of travel because seriously, it's so much more fun if you've done that. Here is a question,
1: something that stands out to me talking to you that you don't really get with many people when they talk about language learning, when they think about Learning in general is the the, I'm I'm noticing how comfortable you are with saying yeah that didn't happen in the next decade, like there is such a long view to how you seem to think about learning languages, forgetting languages, relearning languages, and I don't often perceive that.
0: Well, I think that probably is mostly a function of my just being older though.
1: Mhm, mm-hmm.
0: Because I have gone through um I just decided to do a little math in my head there. I've gone through three decades as an adult and they have brought changes and surprises and so on. So I definitely have more of a marathony as opposed to a sprint um conception of my own life I, I mean on the other hand I do realize that our lives are finite and eventually they end so um, but but I don't feel in a rush to do anything in particular I just feel like having it be naturally integrated into my life and and you know what what gives me pleasure so one you know one thing related to that that just popped into my head is that I think there's a lot of fun to be had and making language plans. You know, I see, I see a lot of people say, Oh, I want to be, um, speak 20 languages by the time I'm 35. And you know, that's not going to happen in probably 99.9% of the cases to be quite frank. But, um, first of all, it doesn't really matter because I think it's fun to think about languages to plan out the schedule, to look at, you know, do preliminary research and all that kind of stuff. But, I don't, uh, I don't plan that way at at this point in my life because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I, this year, for example, have been, um, studying languages less because I, uh, I feel an urgency, um, with our political situation, for example, that has, um, used up some of my time. I've been more involved in local political things and, um, reading and writing about political stuff um, that requires me, I mean, it requires me to write in English and to think in English. And I can, and you know, one of the things I've reflected on is it's really so much fun to study languages, but I also really need as an, uh, as an adult, as a thinking adult, as a concerned or engaged adult, I need to, right now I need to have plenty of time to focus on the kinds of ideas that I can capture at the highest level only in English. I can't ease as you know I I mean I could get close maybe in German or Spanish but that's not really the point I'm I'm thinking locally and I'm um concerned locally and so the expressiveness the ultimate expressiveness that I get through my native language um has really mattered to me a lot in the past year and has been a distraction but so that but but that's how life is it doesn't matter whatever you need, whatever you need at the point you're in.
1: I like that. I like that really as a, as a closing point to, to leave it on, where I've already talked you into coming back to the podcast. So I can ask you all the other questions next time.
0: But I find you very persuasive. So pretty much I'll do what you ask me, me <laughs> to
1: do. Do come and visit please in, in England.
0: I would love to. It's <laughs> on my list. Excellent. It's on my list. I hope, I hope pretty soon. You don't need may, shots. You may, you may hang up and find, you know, find me knocking on your door. Yeah. That would surprise you. I can't deny that that
1: would surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> At this, I to conclude the. I'm so happy. There's something. I've I've read a lot of the sort of language learning research, and the I've read a lot of the research on motivation in language learning. And there is, there is this way that you can look at motivation as extrinsic and intrinsic. And to hear you speak and to hear you take the really this long view and this sort of, I'm, I'm going to do what I need to do at the time that I think it's important, which has this intrinsic confidence and self-trust that, that can guide, in my mind, guides successful self-study. But also has this, it's like a case study of looking at intrinsic motivation. Really somebody who says, I do this because I just really enjoy it. I have a love of language and I want to celebrate it. And to what extent do you feel, do you want to share? That's certainly how I often feel.
0: Well, wait, was that last thing a question? It became one sort of halfway through the sentence, yes. Oh, can you can you repeat the question then? Do you
1: feel you, you know, you wanting to celebrate language, wanting to enjoy language for yourself is is clear and stands out to what extent do you feel like sharing the joy is is important to you?
0: I feel it's everything, really. I mean, this comes up a lot in the in the writing classes I teach in English, but I think it applies across the whole spectrum of language love activities that I, that I have. I speak a lot in my writing classes about, um, the importance of authenticity and of saying to the person that you're writing to something that is true in a graceful way. You know, like a lot of people have kind of this, um, (sighs) They spin stuff, or they, you know, they use language that's not natural to them, or something like that. There's an artifice to it. So what I I think of when I'm writing, or when I'm even when I'm trying to speak in another language, I guess I'm, I don't want to stretch this beyond reasonableness here, this comparison. But I'm thinking of. I, I feel like what I'm doing is true. It's honest. It's not. I'm not studying languages because. I think I should study them. Um, I'm studying them because it makes me feel happy. I'm not writing you this email about XYZ in a work context because I want to manipulate you. I'm writing it to you because I believe what I'm saying and it's true. And so the more when when you look at people, you know, when you face other people as you turn outwards, which is, I think, what is really important to effective communication, not looking internally at yourself, but looking externally at the person with whom you're communicating, do you feel that there is authenticity in what you are saying and doing? And if I feel that, I feel at peace.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm, that's so interesting, the idea of... It, goes, it almost goes back to this marvelous insights I've been having only in the last sort of six weeks because you know it takes a while to get there in your life perhaps but this idea of what we do and maybe the hobbies that we have but also the weight of of what they mean and the way that they're a part of our self-expression and we are like you say like we have to share what is true that's the way to be a good person is in this world that we live in where the internet is full of you know, mirror images and distorted images of people.
0: I like the way you said that.
1: Mm. Well, I feel very profound right now.
0: So I'm going to get I'm going to get off the phone now and go to like a really fancy restaurant and then take pictures of my food and post it. Cannot, <laughs>
1: cannot wait. So if people want to see you be authentic on the internet, do you like that bridge there? So good. (laughs) Thank you. Your website is EllenJovin.com, where you do review materials with the caveat that even if it doesn't work for me, it might work for you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Fantastic. So that's EllenJovin.com. If you are a listener and you have not heard of Ellen, and I'm also going to put some of her conference talks in the show notes that Ellen has shared, which is this alan you're a you're a mistress of the visuals it's wonderful to (laughs) it's it's wonderful to watch your your talks because are you
0: are you referring to the drawings yeah yeah because you draw all your slides and they're they're just really but i just have to tell you something i am working on my drawing skills i'm going to see if i can take it up a notch oh my god i know because the triangle dresses that i draw (laughs) <laughs> where where every every uh female is identified with a triangle colored in a dress. i just feel that i could advance that a tiny bit yeah just put boobs on it <laughs> all right problem solved skill put away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so when when are you next giving a talk are you attending any polyglot events this year
0: I have not determined that yet. I don't have anything on the schedule at the moment well
1: now I know now I want to know when I can see the boobs.
0: Oh well, maybe they'll appear and the, on the triangles internet. maybe maybe they'll appear on the internet before then <laughs> <laughs> so
1: if you would like to see Ellen's wonderful triangle drawings and hear her talks, which really are such a refreshing and wonderful perspective and and like we said, such a and stand out through the authenticity and just the honesty which with which you go about this. There's just no 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 pretense around it. And it's it's, it's a joy to watch, also very entertaining. Just hop to the show notes and they're going to be at fluent.show slash eighty seven and that's the number of our show today. And that's it for me. I don't want to keep Ellen any longer. But Listen, if-
0: it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You make me laugh.
1: <laughs> it's i in, I really enjoy talking to you too. I feel like I feel like this sense of just the drive to do it and the joy of doing languages and the mixed with the confidence and self trust to say yeah this is this is the freedom I allow myself to just do this thing and you know sort what anybody else would think about it. I really enjoy that, and it's something that that we can all really really learn from, so that's it from me with Ellen Jovin for today Uh, thank you very much and the way I sign off is if I say say it's goodbye from me, goodbye and it's goodbye from Ellen
0: do I say something now? yeah you say goodbye oh goodbye
1: Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. Don't forget that you can send us your comments and questions to be answered on the show to kirstin, that's K-E-R-S-T-I-N at fluentlanguage.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you. We read every message. Don't forget to review us. See you next week.